And welcome back to the greatest wax on tracks. It's KU. Oh, it's a good day for singing the song, and it's a good day for moving along. Yes, it's a good day. How could anything go wrong? Turn my headphones up. Y'all ready? Let's do it. This is all you radio. I mean, look, dude, you think this was an accident? All of this right here? Premeditated, partner. I'm Johnny McKeon. You got nothing on me, right? Nothing. And with me is Mr. Doom and Gloom. Hey, dummy. I'm Sasha Bloom. <sighs> Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. The start of the show. And it is Ole Ute Radio. I'm Johnny McKeon. With me, my friend and yours, Mr. Underscore Bloom himself, Sasha Bloom. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Sasha, how are Let's you see. doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Buddy? You got any more Twitter followers, man? Yeah, I'm like two behind you now. R- really? Yeah. Oh, wow. You got 192. You're at 192. 154. Holy cow. You really are two behind me. Yeah. Wow. Good for you, man. Yes, sir. Like, I don't know what started our little Twitter feud, but it's like, because <laughs> <laughs> I used to really just not give a crap about Twitter, but now I like, I go out of my way to like try to get well, followers. Well, it was my enthusiasm for it. So. It really was. Because like, it was the first time I was ever on social media. Oh yeah, that is true. Right? Yeah. And so where you have a thousand tweets and you don't care about it. Yeah. Or you didn't. Well, I still really don't, yeah. but like, I, 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 I try just this much more. Twitter's really weird, though. Yeah? Like, you get all these, like, mass marketing companies yep. trying to follow you. Yep. And they're, like, telling me how successful that they are. Mm-hmm. But they're not. Yeah. Like, if you look into them. And then they DM you messages. Yeah. That will be like, until Twitter's DM bug is fixed, copy and paste this, and then they'll follow you. Yeah. So well, no. that's phishing. Yeah. No. Yeah, they're phishing for your information. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so you copy and paste that, and then they, they can get into your computer, like, get into your stuff. Oh. Yeah. That's very cute of them. Have you been copying and pasting? No. Okay, good, good. Yeah, that's how they get you. But I unfollow them, too, mm-hmm. immediately, and they get really mad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's always a good move. So, yeah, so what, what as a person who's never done social media, which I find bizarre, because I've been doing social media since I was, like, Born. 14. Yeah. Like, 13, 14. What is that like, being on it now, for you? Uh, it's kind of fun, but most of my, see, I'm not on Facebook. Yeah, you're still not. So yeah. my whole generation is like all my old friends and stuff are on Facebook. Yeah, everyone's most on of Facebook. my generation is not on Twitter. Yeah, like none of my friends do it. No one over thirty, unless yeah. you're super old, like is on it. Well, it's super weird to me that you're on Twitter but not on Facebook. Uh, that to me is weird because Facebook <laughs> is Facebook <laughs> has managed to integrate itself into our daily life. Most like, of us. Most of us. Yeah. Like it's weird. Like it's like it's like I, I feel like I'm talking to like an Amish person. Like no Facebook. <laughs> it's on Facebook, and you're just like I don't know what Facebook is. <laughs> it's a book with my face in it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not much for picture albums. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, but like, <laughs> like it's so weird talking to you. Like I feel like I'm talking to like a caveman. Like like no, it's tw- it's Facebook. It's you, you connect with me. I don't. I don't know. I don't. Not for but me. But there's just so much bad stuff about it there's so much bad stuff about all of it it's all it's all horrible the government has control of twitter too like i said had i not almost been kicked out of my class mm-hmm. and we actually have her coming into studio next nice. week dr oh Kim is Matt. that okay they can explain that yeah. that'll be interesting i would never be on this uh thing we called microblogging. yeah <laughs> 
But it's kind of fun. I had my first conversation with a girl on Twitter. Yeah? Yeah, she's like, uh, psst, can I ask you a question? What? Like, you got darn right. You yeah, can ask me a question. Internet booty. Yeah, and then we talked for like 30 minutes. 30 minutes on Twitter? Yeah. Did you do DM or did you do public? DM. Nice. DM. You said I'll send that DM. DM, baby. DM me. <laughs> uh, no. And what happened? What happened? Uh, well, it, it it was very cordial. And yeah. She was yeah. asking me how she could become a journalist. Cool. Yeah, so we had a long conversation about uh, what it is to be a journalist, what you kind of need to do you yeah. know, in terms of not being afraid, being afraid to fail. Yeah. Um, not being afraid to ask the important questions because most journalists don't ask the right questions they let them talk and then they thank them and take pictures yeah you know and i certainly don't want to be that guy so we'll see but it it was fun having my first conversation on social media that's pretty cool yeah that's actually way cool yeah good for you reaching out there next thing (laughs) e-harmony maybe lds singles (laughs) j-day who knows man the possibilities are endless see i i thought about doing a j-day j-date account once yeah but then i was like dude i know this is being trolled by rabbis like yeah i will probably end up on some because uh yeah whenever there's uh female pornography stars and not even stars but girls in pornography that are known to be jewish yeah uh, there's a group in Israel that destroys the companies that um, put Jewish girls on. Really? Yeah, it's like this big dark secret about. Whoa, it. like yeah. a Jewish porn Illuminati. Yeah. Weird. Anti-porn yeah, Illuminati. Yeah, so, yeah. if you're posting, who's the famous Jewish porn star? Uh, that's like that's like the world's worst <laughs> trivia question. <laughs> You'll learn so much about a person with one uh, answer with that question. Call me Alex Trebek, sir. <laughs> I don't know anyone off the top of my head, but I, I think there was this girl called like Dark Angel or something. Know, they all sound the She same. came out with like the know. first group of girls that were tattooed up porn stars. Mm. And she's from New York. And so once she started getting popular and she'd always talk about how she was Jewish in her interviews, all her sites just started getting micro- just blown really? up by this group in Israel. Wow. Oh, yeah. Dude, you <laughs> just like you just threw me the mother of all fun facts, man. Yeah. Wow. How about that? Yes, sir. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah. So you always leave me speechless, Sasha. I'm sorry, sir. No, it's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Um. Wow. <laughs> like a porn Jewish anti-porn Illuminati controlling stuff. Yeah, you'd think it would happen more often on the in this country with the Christians. Yeah. But uh, yeah. <laughs> uh. what'd you think of the lunchbox series today? I don't like. I thought the kids were talented, so we had a bunch of rappers. Uh, I actually have the names right here. Yeah. we're gonna play a song for them later. But it a was a little song uh, for the ladies. DJ, or he's not a DJ, but Dope Thought, Dope Thought on Twitter. He was the first kid on. He was very interesting to me because he was all taught. He was one of those very egotistical rappers, or at least. What do you mean all rappers are egotistical? Right. Promotion's part of the game, son. Yeah, no, but like, oh, I'm the greatest in the world. Like, I'm a super vegan. I'm a super, like, Well, well, those two things don't really go in the same sentence. (laughs) I'm the greatest in the world. I'm a super vegan. It might as well have been what he said. Yeah. But, you know, he was just talking about how, like, he meditates 24 hours a day and he thinks 24 hours a day and his brain never gives up. But he was late showing up to his own (laughs) concert. He was late to 
the interview at KU and he bumped up shows and it's like yeah. you're gonna be the greatest man in the world and you're gonna tell your audience about it. Yeah. Show up on time. See that's that's the biggest thing I've always had the issue with hip hop, the hype. Yeah. You know, everyone says they're number one. Everyone mm-hmm. says they're the best rapper alive. And it's like, where is the guy with the guts to say, hey, man, I'm number six. <laughs> That's what I do. I'm your sixth best choice. Sixth on iTunes. Holla at your boy. Then we had uh, Burnell Washburn come in. He was the last one on he stage. He was dope. I liked him. Yeah, cussing all over the place. Man, you know, it's a college campus trying to push it. He's trying to push the ground. Yeah, but he was kind of like it was kind of cool. It was like he was like one foot in, one foot out. Yeah, because he, <laughs> he was like he was like he was like f the police, <laughs> but unless we need them for <laughs> municipalities and yeah. different things that we need in case. I mean, if y'all hurting somebody, the police should come and help. But other than that, we should keep the police away if there's no crimes involved. You feel me? <laughs> and I'm just like, so you want the cops? To fulfill their job. Like, it was super funny. But uh, Student at the U, he has a... You did give out a shout-out to Jamba Juice, which I found <laughs> very and then, funny. And then he started crashing on him. <laughs> He's like, I want to give a shout-out like, to Jamba Juice. And I got to investigate you. Yeah. He's like, I don't know if this is really healthy for you, but I don't know. I got to investigate y'all some more. <laughs> he was hilarious. He made no, me they laugh. they were kind. I, I felt bad for their venue. Yeah, I it's a it tough venue. I thought it was unfair to them, especially since we have a concert hall... On the second floor yeah. of the union. And it would have made more sense to have them there. If more people show up to these events, the better the venue will be. So you guys, come out to these events. They're awesome. We had free pizza. It was dope. A lot of people stopped by and got free pizza. At one point, during, because it, it, I think that 1 o'clock is a bad time to have performers because everyone goes back to class. You get out at 1130, and then everyone kind of has an hour before they hit up classes again. Uh, you know, a lot of stand-up comics talk about college gigs that they do at at noon. They call them nooners because mm-hmm. of the lunchtime. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know. Like, I think it all just depends because it's like, when is the best time on this campus? You know what I mean? Like, it seems like all the classes are just yeah all over the place. The kids are so because it's a commuter school, the largest commuter yeah. school in within four states of us I yeah. think Arizona has one. I mean, if I didn't do this radio show, I would have never eaten in that cafeteria. Period. There's no reason to. I've never have. Certainly with their prices and their stale, unspiced up food, there's no incentive to eat there. Their salad bar is good. I like that sandwich place. Mm, See, I'm old. Yeah. I've been eating sandwiches for a long time, son. You look like a sandwich eater. I don't know anymore. I I can't do it. The beard? No, soups. That's my catch now. Oh, with your beard? <laughs> your little strainer? <laughs> your little tomato strainer? Ooh, here's a big chunk. <laughs> oh, was you got a noodle stuck in your <laughs> There are these two beautiful black girls hanging out with uh, yeah, I saw them. Keith, yeah. the chai DJ. Yeah. So they were like, I'd really like to braid your beard. Can we cornrow your beard? You should have let them. Would have hurt. Have you ever had cornrows? No. You said you grew a fro, right? Yeah, but that doesn't. You should get cornrows, man. Everyone should get cornrows at least once in their life. That'll set you straight. Yeah. Now you wonder what you. Now you'll figure out why so many thugs are like thugs. It's just because of the cornrows, it man. It hurts all day. Do you know how ugly I would look with cornrows? Like with like the palest, whitest of white lines between my red hair all pulled back. I think you would It'd look like a distinguished. You should do it for a job interview. <laughs> uh, I don't get job interviews. People ask me to work for them, sir. 
don't. And then they will ask you to leave when you show up. No, I'll just leave and they'll applaud. <laughs> do, you th- do you think that? Do you think that you could get fired for having cornrows? You. Do you think like they'd be upset if you showed up to work in cornrows? In Utah? Yeah. No way. No. Uh, well, see, the, the companies I work for are all inclusive companies, not because I'm gay, but because those are the companies I prefer to work for. Mm-hmm. I won't work for companies that drug test. I won't work for companies that um, aren't diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm my own person. Yeah. And I will not allow other companies to control my life. If they are going to control my life by forcing me to show up and pay me wage, you know, that's about all you get. So you would do cornrows if you personally wanted if to? If I could pull the look off, I would do cornrows. I think we should just go and see. Just grow your hair out for another three months. It should be long enough, and then we'll cornrow it. No. <laughs> do it. It'd be so fun. We look like Benjamin Franklin all skeletoned <laughs> out with strangly hair. I don't think you would cornrows <laughs> make you look like that would be really weird. <laughs> You're bald. <laughs> Yannick Noah over here. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We we get that would be awesome. Uh, you would look dope with cornrows, man. You think? Yeah, right. like a hairy Uriah Faber, <laughs> <laughs> with more muscle. Yeah, yeah, technically. Yeah, yeah I'm because he only weighs like 130 pounds. He's a wuss. Like that. He's another kid I could put on my list. That I, you know, I met him once. Yeah, nice guy. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Super nice guy. He was playing hacky sack outside of Jamba Juice just to bring it full circle. Wait a minute, on campus? No, nah, this was back in uh, this is back in California. Hmm. Yeah, he's from. He's close to where I'm from. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, before I forget, sorry you guys for being late this morning. We had to pack up the Lunchbox Series concert, Boogaloo. And that took a while, but we're here now. So, you're the promotions coordinator, right? For KU no, Radio? No, I'm an event coordinator, but I don't do on-campus stuff. I do off-campus. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even understand your text. <laughs> I'm like, what is he talking about? Because <laughs> I thought that was your title. No, I was like, no. ask yourself, dummy. No, no, hey. I do all the... Gustavo does all the on-campus stuff. I do off-campus stuff. Oh. Yeah. Dude, I saw him bobbing his head today. Yeah, <laughs> Gustavo. I love Gustavo, man. I wish we could get him in. I do, too. Yeah, he's always busy. He's got class. I was actually thinking... You know how we had Salt City Strange, mm-hmm. the comic book team on? Mm-hmm. I was thinking that they should have a Gustavo character from the U in total bike suit regalia. Wouldn't that be fantastic? The ticket master. Do you have a picture of Gustavo? No. Okay. I could get one. We should, and we should email it to him and just say, hey, caricature suggestion. Yeah. Yes, sir? You should <laughs> get Facebook. You get all the pictures of Gustavo you want, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just don't think you realize the benefit. It's not just about what you share. It's about having access to what everyone else shares. You never thought of it that way, did you? I'm trying to be a, a loner, yeah. a nomad. Why? Why do you want to be a hermit? I'm comfortable. Why? I'm comfortable with that, sir. Why? Why are you comfortable with that? Why, why do you like being a loner? You like to march to the beat of your own drum. I just... That's about the first time I, you got me speechless on this yeah. microphone. I've just never understood, like, why? Like, why not? Why not just, you know, talk to people? and? Oh, I, I'm very good at talking. Yeah. I'm very good at having conversations and lifting people up. Yeah. But I don't get the same. The very few people that I've ever met give the way I give. Yeah. And so, and I get burned by so many people. Yeah. And so why deal with that when I can have uplifting conversations in person in my own world yeah. with my kid and with me and okay 
with the books I read and the audio stuff I make. Like, well, as long as you're happy, it doesn't matter. It's your prerogative. I was just curious. So I've always wondered that, you know. But I have a lot of friends. You do. No, you do. I just don't hang out with them anymore. <laughs> okay. Now, there's a specific reason I just don't want to say on air. Yeah, that's fine. Now, well, I just kind of meant just more like, I don't know. I get excited when I see new social media stuff. That's kind of more what I was talking about. Like, Vine. Like, I couldn't wait to get on Vine, you know? Any and, Vine videos? No, not yet. I'm making some, though. And then, like, I, I get excited by the idea of having Twitter now on my phone, and it's much easier to tweet. And, like, I get excited with Facebook and Google Plus and Google Chat. Like, to me, I just get so pumped that I get to, like, reach out to people. Yeah. So it's a very different experience for me. Like, I'm very aware of what I post on Facebook. Like, I don't post. I post. You see, like I've said before, maybe 50% of me, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I definitely keep, like, some stuff reserved. So I always keep that in mind because I know that people are watching. It is a representation of you. It's your internet persona, I guess. No, I've never – see, that's kind of what ticks me off a little bit yeah. is I really would like to be more vo- – because I'm a – I like being vulgar. Yeah. But in this, like, dumbed-down PC world that I have chosen to work in, like, I'm downstairs listening to these young kids trying to – bring back a part of hip-hop that died like the real political the real human yeah. hip-hop because i'm all for it yeah. I, they were actually pretty good but then i in my head i was like oh my god they're saying the s word yeah oh my god he's talking about smoking blunts i feel the same way right and yeah. so i get all this pressure on me even though it's a total lie mm-hmm. because that's not the world i'm from i'm not from a political it's not the world you think or speak no yeah. and it's not the world i choose to defend yeah but so I was caught in that weird paradox. I had I feel that, that same capturing feeling yesterday. This dummy went to the police department. Yeah. I was. Re- I woke up at five in the morning because I was really uncomfortable about going to the yeah. police department. I I don't like going. Yeah, and I was going to interview the chief of police, Chris Burbank. Had a great interview. Uh, Can we play it on here when you're done with it? Sorry to derail you. Yeah, I think so. That'd be cool because I, I would genuinely like to hear it. So I someday. Think so. Someday, whenever you're done with that project, I'd love to hear yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, well, you'll definitely be able to view it on. It's gonna be posted at every on every police station throughout awesome. the country. Cool. But so uh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry to no, sorry to derail you. Yeah. And so you were nervous. Th- yeah. And so the shoot went really well, and it was fine. But then at the end of it, they were like, "Oh, go up and take a picture with them." And I did. And as soon as I was done, I was like, I felt really bad about myself, and I haven't posted the picture not because I don't think i look good or anything like that but where is it the job of a journalist to take a picture with a police chief mm-hmm. like is that morally okay is that mm-hmm. is that an ethical thing i can do and i felt really ashamed about it actually even though i wasn't asking him all the questions i was still it was my shoot yeah you know well you never see that you never see the journal like you never see like the interviewer and the interviewee in a picture together like hey no <laughs> you know and no. that, that's definitely more part of this social media aspect. It's like Instagram. Yeah. You know, that's an Instagram opportunity. But I almost felt like because I didn't say no and I wasn't really thinking, I was more worried about not making the police look bad. Yeah. Which is even a thought in and of itself. Yeah. I didn't understand why I allowed myself to do that. And then I also don't understand why I made myself feel bad about it. Yeah. It's like it's just a... You know, it's like, who's... At the end of the day, it's just a guy. Why is this such a big deal? But he's so powerful. He is. <laughs> he is. <laughs> and he's very tall. Is he? <laughs> and he's very bald. Yeah. And he's, 
It was the first time I've seen Eyes of Power since I was up at the Capitol building last year. Really? Oh, yeah. He had some. When he looked at you, you were like, oh, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> she hit me first. <laughs> you just start thinking of all the things. <laughs> Awesome, man. Hey, do you want to go to break for a second? Yeah, so uh, the first song that we'll be playing after our commercial is Old School Cypher with Dope Thought, uh, Brunel Washburn, and Captain Chris of KDZ in Salt Lake City. So go to their various uh, pages, like them, love them, and support them. Oh, and before I forget, tonight at Wise Guys, there is this comedy competition supposed to be really cool it's the comedy blitz it's a head-to-head competition uh with comedians and they each do like two of their best minutes it's only five bucks you guys at west valley it's gonna be awesome wait what is this it's a it's a comedy competition at wise guys this wednesday yeah i'll be winning that yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just wanted to mention it to you guys before i forget sweet yeah Hey, this is Bob Bedore with Quick Wits, and you're listening to KU Radio, the only real radio at the University of Utah. This is Chris Hollifield from the I Am Salt Lake podcast, and you're listening to KU Radio. Hello, alien warrior comedian here. You're listening to All Ute Radio. Hey, this is Matt Knutson, uh, and if I sound familiar, it's because you're currently listening to my voice. You can find me also here on Old Ute Radio. My name is Brian Pope. You're listening to Old Ute Radio. What's up, boys? This is Zach Arthur from New School. You're listening to Old Ute Radio. Hey guys, this is Dwayne Perkins, and you're listening to Old Ute Radio. You know it. Hey, Johnny McKeon here, and if you're interested in being a guest on Old Ute Radio with Johnny McKeon and Sasha Bloom, you should definitely hit us up at oldutradio at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Johnny McKeon, that's M-C-K-E-O-N. You could also hit up Sasha at Mr. Underscore Bloom, that's B-L-U-M-E. Like always, you can find us Wednesdays from 2 to 5 p.m. on KUteRadio.org. But I lie to myself cause myself is yourself Let's suffer through hell I adore this is dope but the name is not heard Materialistic world where items excite them and rights Provide them with fans that will follow whatever is heard Need to be the new disciple to rap Well, words on my sermon Sunday service in tech With verbs and nouns I'm searching for higher learning facts To dispatch and unlatch the meaning of the rapper's rags Hip-hop Moses, Kiwara osmosis Philosophical, I serenade them hypnotosis They get a new veins, I get a new lens to remind them I could doubt my goals and focus Sell out labels, got the eye on everybody On the top of the pyramid, the devil stacking bodies What's the worth of a soul for reverse on a track What we do to be cold for some merch and some stacks 
call you bishop, pastor or priest. I slay negativity like David did the beast. More heart than a lion, more fear than Goliath. My music lures them in like Odysseus with sirens. Call me Hermes, got a message to the world. Hip-hop's been taken over with materials and girls. No soul in the meaning, no meaning in the words. So gather round and listen, I'm the shepherd to the herds. Just a prophet trying to bring back the forgotten. Pay homage to my roots, cause the tree is growing rotten. Bringing the truth to a genre with options. Proceeding with caution, cause the game is still toxic. 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 Yeah. It's time to bring it back. New age shit. Make mind. Give the game a facelift. 90s baby, kinda crazy cause the music hit a dark age Only rappers never seen an MC on the main stage Things change, ain't that strange The way brains consume everything that we portray There's more traits A classic material I'll cast those with dope imperial flows Spitting nomadic with the lyrical brain like a sponge Wide range off the tongue Like night and day, the way the golden era gave us up Or Uncle Sam had the plan to rearrange the funds Demand raised while supply kept eyes on the sun Only one way opposite it down Hold your lighters up I know everybody paved the way And it's time to pass the slum Let us see him We don't play with medicines Heavy pedaling Trying to finish what they begun Not the veterans But we'll change the power with us Pay homage and be honest About where we come from Do I buy kick raps Out the shoebox Throw back Chris and no chip Off the new block I'm too hot, I melt the weapon off the speakers Heat the track, I keep your sneakers welded to the bleachers Fight lead with the dookie chain Mookie gang sold the crack Blow up on their brains like the base of the dookie braid I got the ones fresh J's like the rookie gang You can see the Sugar Hill gang in my 80s slang 21 back, 91 black Caddy swinging yours, truly sitting back in my daddy's lap Bumping Q, pumping size 2 Reeboks Ice tea, high yellow skin like a cheese block Like three blocks away, I swear I heard Tupac the G talk, the new shit, coolest shit than we talk. Young Jihad, blowing through the mic, throwing stones at the Jones Strike, fire like the treetops. Still hanging in the treetops, banging my beatbox, skating my street spots, trying to do the sea walk, hit the sweet spot. All the way from Burnell to Captain Chris and Dope Dot. When I was seven, all I really wanted was a lightsaber, but I never felt the force until I put the pen to my paper. Started writing flows, now the music's my savior. Grab a microphone, I'm known to crush it like an ice maker. I don't sign waivers, I just blow rice papers. I just know that life's greater on the road with rhyme sayers. B-boys and live painters, put in my labor, bring joy to my neighbors. I guess it's just in my nature Do good because it's right Not to justify my stature I'll still build skyscrapers Start a company dedicated To giving seven-year-old kids lightsabers Metaphorically, of course Give our kids the force Push passion out our pores Give back, give love, give daps Give hugs, give it everything you have Cause some people have none uh.
and welcome back to Old Ute Radio. I'm Johnny McKeon. With me in studio, my friend and yours, Mr. Underscore Bloom himself, Sasha Bloom. Thank you, sir. I've decided I'm going to introduce you that way from now on, so I don't have to say at Mr. Underscore Bloom over and over and over. Can you uh, do it a little deeper and a little slower? Mr. Underscore Bloom. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Going all up in your ear hole. <laughs> Don't think of it as a violation. Think yeah. of it as an expansion of my love. <laughs> I hate fantasy football. It's like turning me against my friends. Like I hate them. Like I hate football now. Oh, are you losing now? <laughs> Nick Foles scored seven touchdowns for the Eagles. And as Eagles fan, I should be so happy. But I am miserable because I gave him a, I dropped him two weeks before that. So it's like I just, it's ruining everything for me. It's ruining my friendships. Like, I don't like my friends anymore. Like, <laughs> I, I, I was half tempted to drive by my friend's house and throw a rock through his window. Like, it's just, it's like Game of Thrones, man. Like, we're all, like, petty, like, making deals behind each other's back just to get ahead. Like, it's really brought out the worst in me. Fantasy football has brought out the worst in me. I can finally admit that. I, I don't like who I am now. <laughs> After playing fantasy football, I'm five and four. I've lost the last three games. Uh, my team is garbage. It's it's so stressful. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. I was thinking about this on the drive to school today. Yeah. I was like, because I was thinking about I wanted to talk about sport, but I don't know any. I haven't watched a professional sport game or college game in almost two years. Ever since I got in into television yeah i've lost because yeah. i know how it's made <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's <like> exactly <laughs> i haven't watched a football game like i mean i'll catch little bits of it at work you know at yeah. abc i'll catch it but i don't like watch it the way i used to i don't care but the see, way i used, I used to. to watch four or five games a weekend for football really i would never miss whatever team i was following whether it was the lakers when i was in la or utah since i've been here I'd no, I'd watch all eighty two games plus postseason. Yeah, I haven't I haven't watched anything. Yeah, I still listen to the Steve Zabin show, which is uh, Sport Talk Radio. That's yeah. what I listen to in the morning. But I'm sport free, and it's kind of weird. I miss it. Yeah, and that's I, I kind of get that too. Like the Celtics are I think like zero and three or zero and four. Jazz and like, play the Celtics tonight. I, I haven't even seen a single game. You should watch the Jazz play tonight. They're awful. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> the battle of the mediocres, right? Did oh. you see uh, Hayward turn down a contract? Yep. Well, he didn't. Nec- they didn't want to give him the money he he wanted. They're smart. He's yeah. not good. They he wanted a max contract. He's they weren't going to give it to him. He's a bust. Yeah, but who's going to come out here and play for the Jazz? Me. Who? Who? Me. <laughs> really? You play for the Jazz? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. You wouldn't play for him? No, I. If I had a choice, I don't know. <laughs> like if, if if they were like, you can play in the NBA now, play for the Jazz. I'd be like, hold on a minute. <laughs> you said I could play in the NBA. <laughs> you say nothing about just playing for oh, Utah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, hold on a minute, Wishmaster. Hold on. <laughs> a lot of talk that Ty Corbin's uh, gonna be fired soon. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Ty, Cor- who's Ty Corbin? He's the head coach of the U- of uh, the Jazz. Oh, yeah. See, that's how much I give a crap about the Jazz. <laughs> they already got rid of our coach so uh, for the Celtics. So Wait, I, I thought they got uh, that guy. Yeah, Brad Stevens is yeah. now the new coach instead of Doc Rivers. Yeah. I'm a big Doc Rivers fan. I, I Why? 
why i like the way i like the way he approached his play style like what he did with the celtics like he made them a defensive team like whenever they would cause a turnover that's how they would capitalize and score their points it was a beautiful thing to watch that and a brutal elbow from kevin garnett hey play hard (laughs) game hard hard, play hard you know what i'm saying yeah that's it have you been following football no i like i said i I don't even know who this quarterback is you're talking about for the Eagles. Okay, I'm going to like – I thought Michael Vick was their quarterback. No, Michael Vick got injured. Nick Foles stepped up, and he had a stellar game Where last – Where is he from? He, he's, he's been the backup quarterback for about a ye, two years now. Hmm. And he had he's, he threw seven touchdowns. Against who? Against uh, – The Utes? <laughs> <laughs> who did they play? Why am I spacing this? Against where to where to go? Let me pull it up. Oh please do. Sorry. Oh you're good. I didn't get to watch the game. I was working. How's, he was how's playing. Work going for you? Work's going great, man. Yeah. Going really well. I liked your photo on Halloween with uh, Mr. Oh Jim Kosek in the Gumby suit. Yeah. I should have took a photo of the TV with him keyed out. It was awesome. You could just see the eyes and the mouth. <laughs> it was hilarious. Did he do his weather forecast? Oakland. Yeah, and he did. He did the whole show in it. He did the whole day he must in the Gumby. Stunk. <laughs> he was outside for most of it, but Hashtag he did the Gumby whole Funk. <laughs> Gumby <laughs> Funk. <laughs> he did the full day in that outfit. Nick Foles dropped seven touchdowns uh, on the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> oh man, that's yeah. So I don't know, man. I'm kind of. I'm kind of bummed out with sports right now because I know the Celtics are going to suck for the year. The Jazz are going to suck. It's like, what's the incentive to watch at that point? You know, do you have any incentive to watch? Mm, only because I'll be working Jazz games this winter, so I want to see yeah. their camera angles. Oh, okay. It would be my only interest. Hmm. That's what I was really bummed about knowing I have to move from my house is because anytime I had free time, I could barbecue. Yeah. And now I can't barbecue. It's like, uh, where's his apartment at? Like vaguely, you don't so gotta tell do me. Know, oh, I don't care. Do you know where Pinkies is? The strip joint on State Street by Steve's Auto Sales. No. Kind of around forty one hundred South. In Murray. Yeah. Like like in that weird patch of town, the dark side of State Street with like all the tattoo parlors, pawn shops, and strip clubs. Oh, Pinky. Yeah, I know the one you're talking kind about. By Barbary Coast. It's pink. Yeah. 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 That took me a minute. <laughs> Dumb. A bunch of uh, burned out strippers. Really? There. Oh yeah. That's, that's like where the that's where they Stripper go to die. To retire. Yeah. <laughs> That's where they sent out to pasture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just free-range strippers wandering about. Ugh. Yeah. I I really did a bad job moving. Yeah? Because every time I've had to move, someone decided for me. Like yeah. My roommate found the house last time, and before then, my son's mom found our place. How long have you been living with your roommate? Like, a little over two years. Oh, And okay. then I was... At my last apartment for almost 10, 11 years. Really? Yeah. Wow. I hate moving. Yeah. I moved a lot when I was a kid. Oh, okay. I'm not even unboxing this move. Yeah. Like, they're like, oh, you need to sign a year lease. I was like, I'll sign a six-month lease. And they're like, well, you need to give a 60-day notice. I was like, I guess I got a four-month lease. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. I'm out of here. I don't even want to move. Yeah. I, I screwed up. You should just live in a storage unit. I should just live in the union. Yeah. I should be the guy that lives in the yeah. union. <laughs> you could get away with it. Oh, with how hack security is yeah, in this building? Easily. 
No one would find me. No. I'll live up in the panel above you. You don't even have to live up in the panel. You just sleep on the couch. Just underneath the chair. <laughs> <laughs> just sleep behind here. I will live broadcast. <laughs> you should do a morning show. I should do graveyard. Yeah. <laughs> sleep in the library. Uh, get sl- bed bugs. Come back here and broadcast. Sleeping with Sasha. <laughs> You're the reason we have bed bugs. <laughs> yeah, that's a good name. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good show. <laughs> Sleeping with Sasha. Late night jams. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. I got to... So, came across this article. Yeah. A uh, certain someone emailed it to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, AutosYahoo.com. Ten tips to avoid speeding tickets. Okay. The motorist is a source of revenue. I got one. Yeah. Don't drive fast. Okay. Thank you, Sasha. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> the, the motorist is a source of revenue, says Richard Diamond, and it's become his life obsession to change that. By day, Diamond is the managing editor at the Washington Times, but by night, he's a relentless advocate for drivers. It started when he was 16 and got a speeding ticket from a California cop hiding in a speed trap. What Diamond considered an unfair tax and nasty constraint on his newfound mobile freedom has graded him for 26 years. So Diamond launched into years of research on police ticketing strategies, some of it while employed on Capitol Hill, and and all disclosed daily on his self-funded website, thenewspaper.com, since 2004. Um, Here's some of his wisdom to help you avoid tickets. Number one, Sasha. The very first thing to have is situational awareness. If traffic slows, there's a reason. If traffic slows, you shouldn't be speeding. Period. No. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing over there? I'm mimicking you, sir. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number two, be ready for anything. There are speed traps for moving and stationary radar, LIDAR, known location speed cameras, as well as hidden cameras. Yeah, that's why you don't speed. Yeah. yeah. Do you speed? No. You don't speed? I am the old man. I go 65, 67 in the slow, 70 to 72 in the medium lane, and then I don't go in the fast it's lane. It's because you're a dad. No, it's because I'm in a 1998 Ford Exploder. Yeah. You can't. I swear there's probably a governor cap on there where like the thing blows up and ejects me after 85. I bet. you got to push it up hills. Yeah, it's a wobbly <laughs> car. <laughs> Keep a low profile. Don't call attention to yourself. A minivan in the slow lane is less likely to get a ticket than a red Ferrari. Do you really believe that? Yes, I used to have a red Saab. I thought you were about to say, I used to have a red Ferrari. I'm like, what happened? (laughs) You really hit rock bottom, didn't you? (laughs) And I got pulled over twice for that. And since I've had my Ford Explorer, which is white, I've never been pulled over. Yeah, it looks like an OJ car. I tried to get the Every time I hop in there, I'm like, this is just like OJ. (laughs) Keep quiet. Diamond says to present your license and registration insurance card, and that's it. You don't have to answer anything else. You d- you have to say you're asserting your right to stay silent or please speak to my lawyer. Do it in a polite way, nice and respectful. Antagonists get most, th- most of the tickets. I always try to crack jokes when I get pulled over. Really? Yeah. Why? To loosen up your yeah. fear? No, just because I, I do that. Like, I, I do jokes, especially when I'm uncomfortable. Probably when I crack the most jokes. See, I think it's totally inappropriate to pull over anybody. Yeah. I, I don't think it's the police jobs to do that. Yeah. Mm. Well, what do you mean? What if they're speeding, though? Why, so what? What does speeding mean? It means you're going over the speed if limit. If Michael Andretti's going 110 miles an hour on a freeway, I trust him. You well, know? what about all the other drivers? You, you see, you're only thinking about it from that perspective, but what about all the other drivers who aren't used to a s- car speeding like that? They might zoom out of the way, and then that'll <laughs> cause an accident. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's the result of the action, that sh- of the impact that you have on the people around you. 
it's not just about, you know, you yourself. Yeah, sure, you, you know, you or Michael Andretti know what they're doing, but it's not about what you do. It's about how people react around you that causes friction, crashing, and issues. There's a lot of accidents on the freeway, mm-hmm. a lot of fatalities, a lot of DUIs, a lot of stuff that doesn't need to happen. So I get why we have to be nanny stated. Mm-hmm. I just don't like how it's a source of revenue when we pay Definitely. taxes for these people. You should have seen how pristine the downtown public safety building was. Yeah. Gorgeous building. Well, uh, here's here's my biggest issue with the tickets. And I understand where you're coming from with the revenue thing. I agree with you on that. But there's also there comes a line where you need to have the penalty of speeding be enough that people won't do it. Because it's like someone will be like, oh, yeah, like if you made tickets like $15, people would speed all day. But, you know, I'll just pay the 15 bucks, whatever. But if you make it enough that they'll learn their lesson, because in order to get anyone's attention, you got to hit them where it hurts in their wallet, right? Yeah. So what do you think? Like what, what would be a good price for tickets then that would keep people all, you know, from speeding but still not completely just damage a person's wallet? Paying for uh, traffic school. Yeah. Having to do traffic school. I think that's a fair fine. How much? Do you th- how much is that? Do you think? Like I did 60 it. Bucks? It was ninety bucks. I yeah. I got a ticket a little while ago. Yeah. So I did get a ticket in my white car. Yeah, you have. Yeah. yeah. Doing a Kiyut event. My nice. first one ever. Nice. A bunch of crap that was. <laughs> <laughs> the police officer, the highway patrolman, was all worried. What you did was so dangerous. <laughs> No, I made a right-hand turn. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that sucks. <laughs> but people could have pulled out out of, out of the hotel parking lot, but they didn't. Yeah, they didn't. I survived. Yeah, you did. You're the one that cut through two lanes of traffic on the opposite street to pull me over. Yeah, true. <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> how much was the ticket then? 90 bucks. 90 bucks. And I didn't fight it. I should have fought it, but... I had stuff to do. Because mm-hmm. then you have to take time off of work. Then you have to waste gas money to go there. Mm-hmm. Then you have to have a judge. Uh, did you You should read his part about where he talks about judges. Okay. Yeah, that was a good that. Yeah. Where is it? Legislators, friend, the judge. The judge is not here to find you guilty. The judge is part of the revenue collection machine. Give him a reason to not find you guilty. It almost sounds like it doesn't make sense what he said. What he's trying to say is that the judge judges judges are supposed to find you guilty or innocent, but really they're just a part of like the money. So if it's like a money issue, they'll just go, they'll take your money. Like you have to really give the judge a reason not to find you guilty. Hmm. What do you think about that? Is that cynical? Cynical or spot on? What do you think? I don't agree with it. Yeah. I think it is a judge's job to find guilt or innocence. That's what a court system is about. Yeah. To arbitrarily say that he's there as a tax collector, I think that's a slap in the face of our legal system. Really? If that's the case, fine. But yeah. that's not the way this country was set up for. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that is what I would be concerned with, is that if that's really what's going on, but they're teaching our children that that's not the way it is, we have a major breakdown. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Would well, you be a judge? There's a lot of power. Like, like being a judge that could send a man to prison for life. Like that kind of judge. Well, my whole life I wanted to be a lawyer when I was a little kid. I could see you as a lawyer. And, you know, I did like I did the, the mock trial and the 
debate, all that stuff. And I just didn't like hanging out with other lawyers because they were like stuffy, boring people. And it's like I realized like that's the job. And it's like being a judge is even worse because there's the political game, you know, like you have to get in, you have to work twice as hard and you have to like, you know, make the right moves, go to the right schools. Like it's 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 too much. And the idea of having that kind of power is incredibly stressful. Like the fact that I could put someone to life, like I could come home, take off my robes, you know, put down my gavel, you know, and like take off my wig. And I'd be like, I just sentenced a man to death. Like that's crazy to me. I, I would never want that kind of power. There's people out there that want it, that crave it, that just need it. And they scare me just as much. Oh, they're, they're treason. They, they're treasonable. Yeah. But it's so weird because these people are human too. Like I had a buddy that got in a lot of trouble in high school. Yeah. He got a judge, and his lawyer was golfing buddies with the judge. Uh-huh. And so instead of doing prison time, he got basically like four months in jail, as where anyone else who didn't have this yeah. golfing buddy lawyer. And I don't like that. Mm-hmm. There has to be one form of law for everybody. Yeah. Like, they all teach us that we're all the same, whether of sexuality or creed or religion or race. But that's not the case. Mm-hmm. We're all treated differently depending on how much money we have. Yeah, that's and very true. And I think that's concerning. It is. Do you like fat people? Uh, <laughs> wrong, maybe wrong. <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> well, when we get back from break, there's an amazing story from Florida. An obese man avoids jail because he's too fat. Okay. Yes. Okay. So with that, we are going to break, and we'll come back and talk about obese people. Now you got my interest. Thank you, sir. This is Chris Burbank, Chief of Police for the Salt Lake City Police Department. You are listening to KU Radio. This is Glenn Mills, weekend anchor at ABC for Utah and former Ute. You're listening to KU Radio. Yes, yes, y'all, and you don't stop to the beat, y'all, and you don't stop. Yes, yes, y'all, and you don't stop. A one-two, y'all, and you don't stop. A yes, yes, y'all, and you don't stop. Until the beat comes, says the beat is sure shot. Come on. <laughs> and welcome back for real to All Ute Radio. What was that, Sasha? Did I fail? No, it's just sometimes sometimes we're so hamstrung by like our lack of access to the equipment. So sometimes we have to just figure stuff out as we do it. So Ugh. our phone in studio is not working today. Yep. And we have a major comedian coming in. So we were yep. trying to figure out how... To run our board through Johnny McKeon's smartphone. Yep. So that's why I was out there trying to find a wife. At least we figured it out. Yeah. Did it work out? Yeah. I like it. Wow. So without further ado, let's go back to talking about fat men. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, to- you're <laughs> teasing me about obese people. Like teasing me, like trying to tantalize me, not like calling me fat. But <laughs> No, you're not fat. No, I'm not fat. I'm just big you boned. 58-inch python, sir. Yeah. So, thank you, Sasha. Yep. <laughs> oh, wait, no flux down, nothing like no, that? No, 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 no. I'm here till Tuesday. <laughs> you can see it then. 
Sign right. some autographs. I think from my new post for some pictures. <laughs> Answer some questions. Yeah. Do a little Q and A. I like it. Tweet. What? Retweet. Hey. Follow back. What? Holla at your boy. All right. <laughs> Fat people. Yes. Boom. Tell me what's up. <laughs> Obese Florida man George Jolly Coyier avoids jail because he's too fat by Joe Tacopino. Really? Daily News writer. Tacopino, huh? T A C O P I N O. Tacopino. Tacopino. <laughs> wow. Keep going. All right. How do you avoid jail? Get huh? out of jail free because you're too fat. A 600 pound Florida man arrested for scamming restaurants. <laughs> is there any other crime? In scamming, <laughs> scamming restaurants and robbing Girl Scout cookies. Scamming restaurants in 2007 was offered a plea deal when prosecutors discovered it was too expensive to incarcerate him, according to Orlando Sentinel. Uh, just because I can't read his last name. George, yeah. 38, is infamous for ordering food and then complaining about the quality and refusing to pay after he eats it. Really? The obese thief once devoured five milkshakes before finding a hair in a shake and refused to pay. What? <laughs> George was arrested. Five milkshakes? <laughs> yeah. That's so much milk. <laughs> How do you not vomit from that? Because he's 600 pounds, sir. Wow. <laughs> George was arrested in 2007 after downing nearly $50 of beef jerky from a 7-Eleven. What? <laughs> you know how much beef jerky? That's a lot of jerky. <laughs> That's like a whole cow. <laughs> he stole a whole jerkified cow. <laughs> Holy cow. Then claiming the last few scraps were moldy. The last scraps? <laughs> no so way. So he ate a whole bin. No <laughs> way. <laughs> If you get down to no the way, <laughs> five milkshakes, fifty dollars uh, of jerky, fifty dollars of jerky. That's so much. You get so much jerky for a buck. Way too much jerky for a buck. That's so much food. He's six hundred pounds, I guess. Well, I guess that's not even the reason for this story. Yeah, I don't. We haven't even got to the story. <laughs> Police tracked him down at home and arrested him. Yeah. The beef jerky got me. George said on his way to prison. After George was charged with five counts of felony petty theft, he became ill and bedridden. He now resides in a nursing facility and relies on a respirator to breathe. Yeah. After prosecutors discovered that the state would have to foot the bill for George's medical care, they offered a plea deal. He's in a prison oh, cell. Yeah, he's yeah. not getting out of bed. Why did he go to prison just for five milkshakes and $50? I think that treatment? was an example of what he was doing. He's probably just terrorizing the town. If there's just some fat guy eating a bowl of food everywhere, you got you got to take a you got to solve it eventually. He is almost in a downpour perspiration in his mugshot. Really? Yeah. Wait, what? Can you rephrase that? He's sweating, but he's sweating buckets, bullets. What? Yeah, buckets. It's a bucket <laughs> of bullets. Here you go. Oh wow. <laughs> We're going to have the photo on the blog. Are we? Yeah. And you guys can kind of see. Wow. God, can you imagine being that big? His jowl is bigger. Like, you can't see his ear because uh. his jowls are in the way. Uh. <laughs> Holy cow. Something to dream for, Johnny. So, um, have you been a oh, stupid... I got the beach ball. Hold on. God, I swear. Like... 
I can go back to calling you if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, every time I try to do something good, it never goes right. I sh- we should get a correspondent for uh, football practice. We should. We can now. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing, Becca? Yeah. Hollow, yeah. Yeah, let us know how your lawyer friends are doing. Um, According to the Salt Lake Tribune, have you been f- – uh, inmate testifies that Martin McNeil described killing his wife. Are you familiar with this trial at all? Uh, every time I see it, I don't read it, but – uh, Mark, yeah. Mark McNeil was uh, this doctor in, in Pleasant Grove, Utah, and he, oh, yes. his wife recently went under some plastic surgery, and he had the doctor prescribe her drugs he would not normally prescribe to a person, mm-hmm. like just uh, not, but he trusted him because he was a doctor. So one doctor to another, he was like, "Hey, man, just give her this, this, and this, because she gets nauseous." So just give her a bunch of liquid morphine. I think was what it was. Um, cut to his wife is face down in a bathtub. And the husband, uh, like, I guess the doctor finds the body and he tries to rescue her. How Dexter of him. And, um, yeah, and then he slowly starts introducing the mistress yeah. as the nanny. He hires the, the, the nanny, even though it was actually his mistress for, like, the past year. And he slowly had been phasing out the wife. And a, and a lot of people are saying he murdered his wife. Why can't you just break up amicably? I don't know, right? Why can't you go make another million after? Money? Give up fifty percent. So what? Hey, well, you can. I heard from a rabbi once. He made his first million dollars and he donated every penny of it. Wow. The guy goes up to him and goes, "Why'd you donate a million dollars when it's all the money you have?" He goes, "The first million's the hardest to make." Yeah, that's true. You know. Yeah. Why kill people? There's no reason to kill a woman. There's no reason to kill. Move on. Yeah. Move just, cities. Just do a divorce and split it up. Yeah. Yeah. Money, man. It's it's the. I think that's the number one reason. Second number. Uh, I think that's the second. Which which do you think is okay? Yeah. Is money or crime of passion the number one reason people get killed? Like, what would you say? For like for murders. Yeah. Like like is it is it money motivated or is it like a crime of passion? Like I got mad and I hit him. He hit his head. He died. Or was it like he was stealing my money so I killed him? You know what I mean? Like, I always wonder about that. Yeah, that's a. Money is a big factor. Yeah. But so is... Passion, your, yeah. Your woman and yeah. her sexuality. Yeah, know? right? So, like, what... I wonder what the factor is here. Is, like, the sex with the mistress that well, good? I have, I have neither. <laughs> I have no woman. I have no money. <laughs> you do have a beard. <laughs> you got something going Probably for you. Probably why I have neither. <laughs> yeah. You have something growing from you. I don't know if it's going for you. <laughs> Get under my mistletoe. <laughs> so, Ooh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you could you could this, hire yeah. this December. Yeah, this will tell my chin. <laughs> so, like, what do you think, man? Like, do you, like, you think he killed her? I don't know. It sure sounds like it to me. The more and more I read he about sure it, put a lot of time and energy to uh, create something. Yeah, it's it's really suspicious. <laughs> it's super suspicious. And we're having to pay for this. Yep. Yeah, our police are having to protect him. Yep. So what is going on with his uh, concubine? I mean, his I'm just going to read the article. Okay. As the murder trial for Martin McNeil continued Wednesday, a federal prison inmate testified that the defendant told him he had killed his wife by giving her drugs and holding her head underwater in the bathtub. Oh, that's a tough way to kill someone. The witness identified an inmate I'm one. I'm going to black you out before <laughs> I dr- drown you. <laughs> yeah. Asked, uh, said he asked Martin McNeil about his wife after seeing a television news story about Michelle McNeil's death. He said they can't prove anything, so I don't know why they keep running it on TV. 
He said that he gave her some oxy and some sleeping pills and then got her into the bathtub. Later on, he said just to help her out, he held her head underwater for a little to while. help her out? Yeah. He testified to that? Yeah. So he did kill her. This inmate is testifying oh. to that. Yeah. At the time of the alleged conversation, Mark McNeil was serving time at a federal prison in Texas for identity fraud. Oh, he's a previous offender. I didn't even know that. I've been watching this news story for a while. So let me back you up real quick. Yeah. So this inmate, does he get a reduced sentence, and is he considered a snitch in prison? Uh, he's definitely probably considered a snitch in prison. I doubt he gets a reduced sentence, though. So what's Maybe good behavior, but I don't know. Like, is, is good behavior a reduced sentence, technically? Why become a snitch in prison if you're not getting something? Get to be on TV? Get to stay in a hotel? Yeah, what, are you going to be a good human now? No, <laughs> you get to be on TV. You get to stay in a hotel. You get three different types of meals. You get to be part of the spotlight for a minute. It's so boring in prison. It's so boring. I and most people are there are for, like, drug-related stuff now. It's, like, what, like, 60% of, like, criminals are drug-related. So, like, I don't think it's, like, Oz. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, in some spots, <laughs> like, I think it's pretty chill. In some spots, it's just really boring. I could see that. You know what I mean? And if, like, you're just really bored, it's like, ugh, why not? I'm in here for growing three plants of marijuana. Fine. I'm just going to, you know. <laughs> yeah, who, who knows, you know? <laughs> You never know. We're like, oh, I had a pile of oxys, you know, and then I got sent here. <laughs> you know, that's how it works, man. I know. That's why I don't do them. It's scary. <laughs> it's very scary. Well, hopefully they figure this out. And Well, okay, here's an example. Uh, Katu.com. Deputies. Man brings meth pipe to meth hearing, gets more meth charges. <laughs> Deputy said a man who was coming out of court, uh, coming to court for a hearing at the Cowlitz County Hall of Justice, was arrested after he put a meth pipe in a tray at the security checkpoint on Tuesday. <laughs> you know the gray trays yeah. where you put your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Todd Campbell, fifty-one, was oh, fifty-one and doing meth. Damn. Yeah, well, that's, that's damn. Tough that's tough. He's collecting social security. <laughs> uh, was out on bail on charges of possession of methamphetamine and obstruction of justice. The Cowlitz County Sheriff's Office said when Campbell was asked to dump the contents of his pockets onto the tray, he took out a three-inch pipe coated with brown residue and covered it with a piece of paper. Hmm. hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. The deputy working the scanner recognized it as a pipe used to smoke meth and arrested Campbell. Campbell was sent back to jail on another possession of methamphetamines charge. You ever smoked meth? No. All right. No. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I rarely do anything, man. Like, I barely drink. I've had, I can tell you, I've had three drinks in the past six months, probably. You're a whiskey sour guy, right? No. I thought I was talking to you once and you were drinking whiskey sours. No. I, I told you Mountain Dew was invented originally as a mix for whiskey. Did was you know it? that? Yeah. What? It's a whiskey mix. That's it's a whiskey sour mix. Good. It is. That's what it's. In, that's what it was invented for. And they were like, hey, this is actually pretty good as a soda. I wish I could drink whiskey. Yeah, can you not drink? Not very well. No? I get tired and confused. And See, my... want to fight me because I'm better looking than them and I strut like a what kind of bars are you hanging <laughs> out? <laughs> you never want to be the best looking man in the room. Yes, you do. No, you don't. Why? Because then there's nowhere to go but down. So I hang out at uh, hole-in-the-wall places. Yeah, you like dive bars? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. With like jukeboxes with actual records in them? and 
I like so I used to <laughs> I used to hang out at this No place. ice in the urinal at your kind of place. <laughs> yeah, right. No urinal. <laughs> <laughs> Just go out back. <laughs> 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 Just pee on the hornet's nest. That's what we've been doing all night. <laughs> so when I was younger we the bar I used to go to was a neighborhood bar. Yeah. And it wasn't a, really a karaoke bar then it was yeah. just like like they had a tab where they had this w- box and you just would put your receipts there yeah. and you'd pay the bar on fridays yeah it was a kind of a cool place wow let you stay till like three or four in the morning way after hours and then you know because they were just getting drunks and always on tabs they weren't making any money and so they started introducing karaoke and now yeah. they're like the karaoke bar in the valley oh wow a priori to that there's this guy that was up there singing, and one of the old drunks picked up his stool, walked over there, and threw his stool at the karaoke guy. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was the funniest thing I ever saw. That's so gangster. <laughs> yeah. And this guy was like 58-year-old, like super fat, drunk white guy. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Ugh. Speaking of crime. Yeah. This is Associated Press. Let's hear it. And then we have to go to break, and we have a comedian coming. Yeah, out. yeah, one more story. Yeah. California man busted for selling rustled cow costumes. No reporter. Redlands, California. Police in Southern California have busted a cattle costume wrestler after he tried to sell stolen suits online. Redlands police say two seven-foot cow costumes created by Chick-fil-A chain were nabbed in separate restaurant burglaries. The costumes <laughs> turned up for sale <laughs> For $350 a piece on Craigslist on October 30th. An undercover officer arranged to buy the bovine attire in time for Halloween. When the seller produced the black and white outfits, he was arrested. Michael Trayton of Riverside is being held on $275,000 bail. The costumes were valued at $2,800 a piece. Wow. Police also res- recovered a pop-up canopy stolen from the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> How does he only offer $350 for $3,000 suits? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything about that, man. Like, suits? I'm trying to get in the suit game. I found a guy who does custom suits down in Provo. You get a pretty good deal. Cow suits? No, like <laughs> business suits. Can we get you in a chicken suit? <laughs> I would look good in a hot dog suit. I've always <laughs> believed that. I always believe I would make a hot dog suit look good. I believe it. <laughs> I can make anything look good. I can make that look damn good. Yeah, <laughs> just just rocking it. <laughs> Johnny Franks. Yeah, for real. Yeah. yeah, ask me about my wiener. You know, like I could do it. Like I could. <laughs> do you really want me to? Uh, maybe I don't know. I've thought about it. Maybe I'll do that next Halloween. I'll be a hot dog. <laughs> you could be an apple or a plum. You're such a plum. If you were any fruit, you would be a plum. Plum. Yeah. Why a plum? Because you don't see plums very often. Yes. They got a little bit of fur on them, just a little bit. Not as much as a peach, but you yeah. can get a little bit. Uh-huh. And, like, it's it's a bittersweet fruit. Where, you're like, it's not your first flavor, but then you're like, this is really good. And then you really crave it. And you're like, this is really good. I don't normally eat fruits like this. I wouldn't think fruits like this were good. But you know what? This is good. This is a good experience. I'm glad it's in my mouth. What did they say? The blacker the berry, the, the sweeter the, the juice. juice. Yes, sir. <laughs> and with that, we should go to break. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, what a we weird show. lost all control. Time. What a weird show today, man. <laughs> Anyone uh, want a piece of five-and-a-half-hour-old pizza, come up to Key Radio. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's delicious.
Thank you, Johnny. Thank thank you, Sasha. I appreciate you. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. There we go. Oh, it's not plugged in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what a day. What are we doing? Did I do that two times? Yeah, it's not your fault this time. Really? Yeah. Why not? I don't know. Right in front of my face. Oh, it is. It is your fault. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the last episode on purpose. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, don't worry. We'll edit this. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but those live listeners, you guys are getting a special treat tonight. Oh, I bet we don't have any left. <laughs> yeah. But if you're on, we have a legend in comedy. Yeah, yeah. Jerry Mabbitt will be on soon. Sweet. All right. I'm ABC4 Chief Meteorologist Jim Kosick. While you are not, there's still good news in your future. You're listening to KU. This is Chris Hollifield from the I Am Salt Lake podcast, and you're listening to Old U Radio. Hey, everybody. This is Keith Stubbs, comedian, entrepreneur, actor, and failed radio personality, and you're listening to Old Ute Radio. One, two. And welcome back to Old Ute Radio. I'm Johnny McKeon. With me in studio is Sasha Bloom. Hello. Uh, on the line, we got comedian Jerry Mabbitt. He's very funny. His unique and slightly twisted view on everyday life and relationships has landed Jerry on national television, radio, and major motion pictures. He uh, started his comedy career after being discovered in Orange County, California. He's won talent shows at the world-famous Laugh Factory in Hollywood, and he's quickly became a regular at the Legendary Club. Jerry's amazing. I've known him for a while. I'm really excited to have him on here. Jerry, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So, Jerry, how how did you get started in comedy? Like, what when did you decide to become a comedian? You know, I never really did. Uh, it was purely accidental. Um, back in uh, 1985, um, I was a national sales trainer for Circuit City, and uh, we had a big graduation ceremony with 350 people there. And the Los Angeles Times, were, they were coming out to take pictures, and they were late. So the, the company executives uh, were getting nervous with all these people there. So they, they knew I was kind of funny, so they pushed me out there and said, well, go tell some jokes or something. Yeah. And so I really had, no, I had nothing prepared, and so I just did an impression of Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> Uh, because my sister had bought me an album um, of his for Christmas, and uh, the people went crazy. Wow. So there was a guy there who had just retired from show business, was going to work for Circuit City part-time. He was a writer for Steve Martin and some other folks. And so he approached me afterward and said, have you ever thought about doing this for a living? And I said, no, I've never even been in a comedy club. I have no idea. So... The following Tuesday, he called me in my office and said, hey, I have a showcase set up for you at the Laugh Factory tonight at 8 p.m. Wow. And I wasn't going to go, and then I thought, you know, I don't know these people. I mean, if I go and I make a fool out of myself, I'll never see them again. No big deal. Yeah. So, so I went, and I did it, and it turned out uh, to be a talent contest, and I won. And so I went to the Laugh Factory that weekend and performed, and then I performed at the Laugh Factory for about a year and a half after that and became the house MC. Uh, and then branched out to the comedy store and the improvs and the ice house, and and I, I've been doing it ever since. Um, hey, Jerry? 
Yeah. Um, we have to go to break real quick. I have to fix one technical issue. Sorry, it's been kind of a – the studio's been a mess today. So when we come back, you guys, uh, we're going to talk more about Jerry and about what he did at the Laugh Factory. Welcome back to Old Ute Radio once again. We had a slight technical difficulty that we had to resolve, but we took care of it. With me right now in studio is Sasha Bloom, and over the phone we got comedy legend Jerry Mabbitt. Jerry. Hey. So tell me a little bit more about your experience at the Laugh Factory. Well, it was interesting because I, I kept going back, and uh, and then Tuesday night was kind of a potpourri night. It wasn't necessarily an open mic uh, in the traditional sense because the regular comics uh, got on first and we were like the first 15. And then there were probably 30 comics after that who, you know, were lucky to get on at midnight in front of a few drunk people. So it was, it, yeah, so it was interesting. Uh, the, and, and, you know, I kept going back week after week after week and finally uh, Jamie Masada, the owner, uh, took me out to dinner um, and said, look, I, I want you to MC." Um, and he said, but be prepared because once you start emceeing, you're going to bomb a lot. <laughs> and I, I didn't believe him. You know, I thought, hey, I'm nah, better than that. But he was absolutely right. And it forced me to become more creative in writing and get my persona down, who I was going to be on stage. And uh, and then I just started getting better and better and better and then started moving on to the other clubs and still performing at the Laugh Factory but not being the house MC anymore. Wow. So let me ask you, what does it take to be a good MC? Because it seems like such an underrated position, but it seems to be one of the most difficult too, right? What you hit it. Uh, on the head, I have a book called The Hosting Survival Guide, and uh, most comedians have really no idea how to be a good host. And th there's a lot of things involved, but mainly uh, the host has to be able to set the table for the headliner. I mean, that's really the whole thing, the whole job that they have. So if you have comedians doing guest sets in between, and somebody bombs, well, the MC's got to go back up and get the audience back. <laughs> That's got to be incredibly tough. It, it, it can be. Um, you know, we call it taking the bullet, you know, and, uh, and, and then you, if the next comic does well, then you just move the show right along. You don't do any material in between. Oh, okay. So you have to you have to be very very aware of what's going on in the showroom, um, who the headliner is, and it gives you an idea of how you need to set this show up for them. If they're a clean uh, headliner, then you have to make sure that you really make sure that the other comedians are clean. You talk to them and let them know. Um, and also, you have to get everybody's intro. Everybody deserves a good intro. Too many hosts who are pretending to be hosts lie about the credits, um, which kind of irks the headliners because those guys have really earned the credits. Yeah. And so when that, when the MC just starts throwing out credits uh, that were not really earned, 
it, it's it's really kind of a slap in the face uh, to the headliner. Wow. Yeah, I never even thought of it that way. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a tough job, which is why you know in in our local market, it's the only other paid uh, position outside of the headliner. Yeah, that is true. So it's a it's it's an interesting uh, job for sure, and uh, my wife is a good example. Heather, yeah. uh, she she's one of the best MTs I've ever seen. But uh, w- when she was first getting started, she hated the idea of MCing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of responsibility. It, well, it really is, and and when you think about it, there are so many comedians who really don't want to MC. But when you think about it. The comedians who have had the most success, Letterman, Leno, uh, Jimmy Fallon, these guys, they're, they're hosts. Um, and, of course, they're making millions of dollars being a host. Um, so it's something that you have to learn how to do. Chevy Chase is a prime example. I mean, his show got canceled very quickly yeah. because he was not a good host. Yeah. He didn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. He His show did not do well. <laughs> No, he didn't know how to interview people, uh, and, and really that was the network's fault for hiring the guy without really kind of testing him out to see if he knew how to interview people. Okay, so so how did you end up like getting involved with Wise Guys and being out here in Utah and everything? Well, Keith Stubbs, um, the owner of Wise Guys, of course, uh, and a great comedian, Yep. Um, he and I have been friends since 1985. So he used to come down to the Laugh Factory and watch me perform. And then he became my manager for a couple of years. And so we remained very, very close. And we went different directions. He became a hardcore road comic. You know, I built a little empire in Southern California. Uh, and uh, I worked the road, too, but it was more selective. Mm-hmm. Um so when Keith opened, uh, it was originally Laughs uh, in Ogden. Um, I was living in Monterey, California, and he asked me to come out and headline in September of 1996. Uh, so I came out and I headlined, and then it went well, and then I, I went back home. And then he called me and said, hey, listen, why don't you come out here and you can uh, share the house with me and use the uh, the club for your base, you know, to work out of. Yeah. And so that that's I moved down here in November of 1996. What is the big difference between a Utah audience and a Los Angeles audience? Uh, the big difference is that if you're going to play in Los Angeles, you better make sure that you're funny and creative. Because the audiences in Los Angeles are very unforgiving, whereas the audiences in Utah, I mean, they're they're very forgiving. I mean, they they you know it's it's like you know everyone's a winner. You know, I mean, they really they they applaud you for the effort that you make. And and the other thing I've noticed about Utah is you know there are so many Mormon jokes that when somebody goes out. And they go to Los Angeles, they go to Chicago, they go to New York. Um, they try to tell those jokes, and they just don't work. They just fall flat because the audience can't really relate. Yeah, that, that makes so a lot of sense. So you can't carry over Mormon jokes to a different state, correct? 
No, because the secret of comedy is, like, if I think something is funny, it is funny. I don't care what anybody tells me. It's funny. Uh, the, the hard work of comedy is to get the audience to see it the way that I see it. Then they think it's funny as well. It, it would take way too long to set up uh, Mormonism and all of uh, all of its nuances to get the audience to understand what it is that you're talking about. You just don't have the time. What What is your biggest fear being on stage now as a seasoned comedian? Like, do you still have a stomach full of butterflies when you perform? I, I know I don't. Um, and the reason I don't is because uh, yeah I've 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 made my act um, very interactive, so I don't get hecklers, so I don't worry about that uh, because I make the audience part of the show. Mm-hmm. So if I get somebody who needs a little more attention than somebody else, those are typically, as you know, the the hecklers. Um, I get them involved in in the show. And I've got about two hours worth of material in my head, so uh, somebody can say pretty much anything, and I've got a bit for it. So it makes it look like it's spontaneous when it may not really be. And I've had a lot of improv training as well. Um, I trained at the Groundlings Theater in Hollywood where a lot of the Saturday Night Live people came from. Yeah, that's like the Saturday Night Live JV, right? Like that's where... That's kind of where they, they, they pick a lot of their people from. Yeah, uh, the Groundlings and then uh, Second City in Chicago um, are, are probably the two main um, places where they uh, cast from. And uh, doing improv is so great for stand-up because you never worry about losing your place. You never Somebody gives you something and you run with it. And the other thing is that I never put anybody down. Mm. Somebody told me one time, listen, you know, you, you have the ability to either uh, make somebody win or cause them to lose. And it's interesting because you almost always cause them to lose. That was early in my career when I was scared to death of hecklers, so I did what most people do. I slammed them. Yeah. <laughs> Is there room in comedy for a heckler, or should they just not be encouraged or allowed to be in a, in a comedy room? It really, that's a great question. It really depends on how uh, skilled the comedian is in handling hecklers. Uh, The only hecklers that are really, really out of control are the ones that are really drunk and loud, and no matter what you do, they just, you know, won't calm down. And, And so the club usually takes care of those people and, you know, either asks them to tone it down or they may have to remove them from the audience so that everyone can enjoy the show. But I, I never give attention to a drunk heckler, ever. So what do you do? Uh, I just ignore them. Hmm. Uh, because uh, nobody wants to hear them. Yeah. Uh, they, they came to hear the comedians and, and not the hecklers. And so, you know, if the hecklers get too loud, then, you know, the club will take care of it. No, I I don't give them attention because it just eggs them on and and they'll get louder and louder and they'll never shut up. (laughs) Are hecklers more common when a comedian is quote-unquote dirty or when they work clean? 
I have found, now I've been both. When I started in Los Angeles, I, I was not exactly clean. I cleaned my act up one day when a man told me after the show, you know, I've never seen anyone walk out on a clean joke. And that just <laughs> stuck with me. Yeah, and so, so I started, you know, building my act uh, as a clean act. And I think I think the uh, dirtier the comic, the more likely you you are to get hecklers. That makes um, sense. Yeah, because you know when you use expletives on stage, uh, somehow it just spurs certain types of people on. Um, whereas if you're clean, you have to be much more creative in your writing style. Uh, and, and and people have a tendency to they don't see the punchline coming, so they're laughing rather than heckling. If that makes sense, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, um, yeah. I try myself to be a clean comedian, and I find it like if I, it's almost you're almost guaranteed a better joke because it takes a lot longer to form that joke. You have to be more thoughtful. You have to be more creative. It just takes a lot more effort, and I've found that the results have been better doing it that way, by, like, writing yeah, clean and, first. And that is so true. And, and then the other thing that's obvious is if, if you were clean, uh, you have the ability to get a lot more work than if you don't work clean. I found that if you do work, um, you know, blue, as we call it in the business, uh, and you go do a showcase for a major club and you curse, you will not get hired. I guarantee it. I've seen it too many times. And uh, even at the comedy store in Hollywood, you know, where they put on Andrew Dice Clay and, you know, if somebody uses a swear word in their audition, they won't put them on. And then you say, well, geez, is this the same place that you put on Andrew Dice Clay? And their response is, well, you're not Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> <laughs> what, happens, what happens to the comic that gets fired for going blue when they're supposed to be clean? Does... You know, comics get a reputation, and club owners talk. And if if somebody gets fired because they're uh, they're dirty and they're supposed to be clean, uh, that comic's going to have a lot of trouble getting into one of the major clubs. Huh. So are they forced to become dirty then overall, or or just what they're forced to do is they're forced to go out on the road and work one nighters. Um, you know, of course we call them hell gigs. I mean, you, you go out and you do uh, a one nighter and then you drive 500 miles the next day to the next show and you, you don't make a lot of money and you have to pay your own expenses. And that's sort of the price that you end up paying, uh, because you can't work at the nicer clubs. So you become a road dog instead of a club comic. That is so true. And I, I'm telling you, I've seen more uh, 60-year-old road dogs than, than, than any other age, I think, because I think it's good to go out on the road and kind of get that experience and toughen your skin a little bit, but it's not something you want to do as a steady diet. Yeah, it, it seems incredibly brutal. I, I know Keith, yeah, he, he was on our show, and he was talking about when he, uh, he crashed his car on the road. 
Yeah, and that's that's when he decided to get off the road and open uh, his first club. Yeah. Um, and I had something similar happen. I was uh, coming back um, from Spearfish, North Dakota or South Dakota, I can't remember. But um, I was coming back through Wyoming and uh, just outside of Rock Springs, just east of Rock Springs, uh, I fell asleep at the wheel, and I was fortunate that there was a there was a lot of grass in between the two highway, uh, and and uh, and so I went bouncing around in the grass wow. and woke up and said, "Okay, that that's it, I'm done." Wow. Uh, and so I got off the road. I I, I went and stayed the night at a motel. And uh, came back and said, "Okay, I need to, uh, I need to be a lot more selective about where I go and what I do, uh, because I'm no longer going to drive all over the country, and and end up killing myself." That was, you know, that so that was my motivation. How how much time were you getting on average doing road gigs? Like, how much would they give you? Oh, the the more the better. I mean, you could do an hour and a half. yeah, they don't really care because in a in a in a bar situation, they don't close right after the show. Yeah. So they don't really care how long you go as long as they don't have a band hired to come up right after you, or you know if you're not doing well, certainly they don't they don't want you to go longer. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow they're like turning on the lights on and off to get you off stage <laughs> oh, i i have actually seen club owners walk up and just take the microphone out of their hand. oh wow that's a little embarrassing for the headliner yeah so tell me about these books you've been writing uh I wrote uh, a couple of instructional books. One is called, uh, my favorite is called, uh, You're Funny, You Should Be a Comedian. And it's it's based on, I had a, a huge comedy school in Southern California. Um, and uh, started just simply accidentally. I was helping some comedians that wanted help. And pretty soon I didn't have enough time to perform myself. So... Uh, I, a friend of mine, uh, I said, hey, why don't you put a class together where I can teach people all in one night? And anyway, the thing exploded, and six months later, I had the biggest uh, comedy school in the country. I had uh, six different locations, 22 different showrooms. Um, we were doing uh, kids' comedy. We were doing, uh, I had an Im- improv troupe, so we were doing improv classes. Um, it, it was just gigantic, and, and 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 that's really when I started kind of, you know, making a, a bigger name for myself, and, and uh, got involved in motion pictures, got involved in television. Um, I was on the Oprah Show. I was on uh, the Susan Powder Show, which was weird. A lot of people don't remember her. <laughs> she. she she was uh, this this uh, lady that had very very short blonde hair at the time, and she had lost a bunch of weight and and wrote a book called Stop the Insanity, and she had a lot of energy, so she got this uh, national 
uh, talk show, and and uh, they called me, and and uh, so I, I I went on there as a guest, and uh, that was a wild ride. And so I ended up I had my own cable TV show, you know I I ended up doing a whole lot of things that I never expected to do, uh, and I feel very very fortunate to be able to have had those opportunities. What was Oprah like? Is she a kind woman? Very, very nice lady. Very nice lady. And that particular episode, uh, Lyle Alzado, uh, former <laughs> Oakland Raiders, great, was on there, he, and he was suffering from cancer. It was probably a, a month before he passed away. Oh, so wow. he was the main, yeah, he was the main guest on there. And then I, m- my part was to take part in, in kind of a Q&A about, um, the, is there a rich man's burden? And so, you know, it, it was it was more topical than it was, you know, her asking me questions about myself. Oh, okay. That's still that's amazing. That's that's really cool. So that was before the social media boom throughout the world. When you went on Oprah, did that just open up your career? Did that open new doors for you? No. It really didn't. Um, what opened the doors for me uh, in 1989, I, I was able to open for Sinbad at a convention center. Oh, wow. Sinbad. He's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so there were 2,000 people there. So that was the biggest show that I had done. And I was scared to death, of course. Um, and uh, so I went out and I, you know, did my set and I did. I did well. Sinbad told me later, listen, I was nervous, but the reason that you did well was because you didn't come out and try to be Afri- African-American. Yeah, yeah, because he, he played mostly black audiences, right? Yes. And so, you know, I was a little intimidating, I'll be honest with you, but uh, afterward, his agent uh, approached me and said, well, what are we going to do with your career so I, I feel kind of cocky at the moment. And then uh, I said, uh, so when I, I went and met with her, I said, so, okay, what do we do? She said, okay. Uh, I had a chipped tooth. She said, you need to get your tooth fixed and lose 30 pounds, and then come back and talk to me. Wow. Just just like so, that. She just said it just but, like that. Oh, yeah. She was bold. I mean, you know, she was very well connected, and um, she certainly didn't have to do anything with me. She wanted to. So uh, so I went and did that and came back and signed a contract with her. And, uh, and so that's kind of when things uh, started to take off for me. I was able to open for Gilbert Godfrey that same year, uh, which that was bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, uh, do we have time for me to tell a little yeah. story? Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay, so... I had seen a Comedy uh, Central, uh, no, it was a Cinemax special with uh, Gilbert Gottfried, and it was, it was just brilliant. And so uh, I thought, geez, man, I'd love to open for this guy. So when the opportunity came, I, I was, you know, really excited. Uh, so I went down and picked him up at his hotel, and he looked homeless. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, Everything was wrinkled. The hair was all over the place. Uh, he wore a belt that was about five sizes too big. Um, and and I had to take him to lunch. So, 
Right. So we're sitting here at this Italian restaurant having lunch, and I made the mistake of saying, you know, Gilbert, I, I kind of feel like I'm stagnant. You know, I've been at this now for five years, and you know, I'm not sure what to do. And and his response was, oh, I see, I see. <laughs> so after five years, the best you can do is open for the likes of me. <laughs> <laughs> No way. <laughs> and I I just just shrunk in my chair. And Check, then please. he got louder and louder and louder. And that awful and, voice and, of his, right? Oh yeah. And he stood up and he was yelling at me. And, uh I couldn't wait to get out of there. And so that night we did the show and um <laughs> And he bombed. Oh no! I did very well, oh. and he he really ate it. <laughs> and and that was on October 30th of 1989, because the next day I drove him to Beverly Hills uh, to a hotel, and he was uh, doing a live. Uh, he was hosting a live event for Halloween at the Laugh Factory. And so on the way out there, I, I kind of wanted to get even with him. And so I said, so how do you deal with the fact that, you know, you're this terrific veteran of comedy and you just ate it last night and I did really well. How do you deal with that? And he said, uh, and his voice was really more like this. Uh, and so he said, well, let's see, how do I deal with that? Tonight, I'm going to be hosting a national television show from the Laugh Factory, and you're going to be <laughs> trick-or-treating with your kids. <laughs> he said, so that's kind of how I deal with it. Wow. Yeah, he really uh, put me in my place, and I deserved it. I mean, yeah. I, I did. I mean, it was, I was being a little cocky with him, so. He's had one heck of a career. I mean, he's still doing comedy roasts. He was had that long stretch with Howard Stern uh, doing radio. He, he's just kind of stuck around. It's impressive. I consider myself very fortunate to uh, have been able to do uh, so many things that I never dreamed uh, I would be able to do. Um, I, I performed in front of a, a crowd of 10,000 one time. Wow. It was an outdoor event on the 4th of July, and uh, – it was in a, a town called Aliso uh, Viejo down in Southern California. And uh, it, it was just a massive crowd. And But I, I had done enough where I, I wasn't nervous about performing in front of that many people. It just didn't make any difference to me. And it, and it turned out to be a great show. And, you know, it's a nice story to talk about. But uh, it didn't feel any different than just doing a show in front of a couple hundred people. Did you have to do anything different as opposed to like a club with like a crowd that large? I had to be very careful about wh what material I selected because it, 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 there were families, of course. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I needed to make sure that I chose material that appealed to the whole spectrum from children on up to the elderly. Yeah, so so it took a lot of work to put that all together, but it, it was so much fun. It, it was great fun. The ki a lot of kids came down in front and sat down in front to listen, and um, it, it was it was a great it was a great evening. 
So before I'm gonna let you go in just a little bit, but Wait, first I have one question. Sasha's all right. Go ahead, Sasha. How, did you complete your 5K run? Because I'm reading that on your blog spot right now. <laughs> I did. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, I just uh, I started running because uh, I, I got I got sick um, uh, with a neurological condition. Uh, I decided that I would exercise. Of course, you know, doctors told me to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I started exercising, and uh, my wife is a runner. She's run marathons and half marathons and all kinds of stuff. So I hung out with a bunch of runners. So I decided, well, I'll try it and see how it goes. And uh, so I got this program on my phone called uh, C25K. So it's a couch to uh, sitting on the couch to doing a 5K. Oh, okay within eight weeks. And so I did that program and, and I found that it was easy to build up to 3.1 miles. Um, and, and so I went and ran it. Now my knees are really sore right now. So I'm, I'm kind of treating things gingerly because I'm going to do another 5k, probably Thanksgiving morning. That Turkey run in Cottonwood Heights or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I found that I, I really enjoy running. I really enjoy uh, biking. Um, I, I bike, you know, 15 or 16 miles every time I do it. And it, it really it really helps me. It gives me a sense of accomplishment probably more than anything else. Does it help you on stage in terms of being more awake and alert um, because you're healthier? It really does. Yeah, that's a great point because when you run, it's it's endurance. You know, you run a lap and you say, well, I can do another lap. I can do another lap. I I can do another lap. And so it gives you confidence to be able to do that. And so, uh, you know, working my way back up uh, to a headliner status, it's a lot of work um, with the condition that I have. And uh, and so that really does help me um, to to get through that. So Jerry, where's your blog again? It's uh, and uh, where are you at on Twitter? On uh, Twitter, it's just Jay Mabbitt. Uh, so it's at Jay Mabbitt, and then uh, my blog is just jmabbitt.blogspot.com. And my blog is something that I do every single day. Uh, there's only one time I've missed in the last year, and that was. Uh, due to uh, a tragedy in the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't care if it's Christmas morning or if it's New Year's or whatever. It doesn't make any difference. It's the first thing that I do when I get up in the morning. And uh, so, and it's become popular. I have a, a pretty good international audience as well as um, a domestic audience. So uh, the blog, I try to make it a lot of fun a lot of stories, uh, a lot of things that, that I've done or encountered. Um, you know, I've worked obviously with a lot of celebrities, so every once in a while I'll throw those stories in there, and, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and also you can purchase your books either through Amazon or through your website? Uh, actually, just on Amazon. Um, my goal was to get the books. I started with a small publisher, uh, but I wanted to get the books on Amazon, so now they're on Amazon.com in the U.S. and also in the U.K. And soon they'll also be available at iBooks.com and also BarnesandNoble.com. 
and I have a couple of other books outside of, of the instructional comedy books. I have a, a couple of joke books uh, that are clean, and then uh, my favorite book is The Twisted Musings of a Comedian, and uh, I'm writing volume two of that right now, and those have been, those have been popular. Awesome. Yeah, you can get that for nine forty nine on paperback at Amazon.com. Yes. And you have yes. uh, Sean Paulson coming to Ogden Wise Guys over the weekend, right? Hey, Sean will be in Ogden. He, he's a, a great hypnotist, and uh, those shows always sell out. So I always encourage people to get their tickets ahead of time because it's such a great, fun uh, time, and Sean is very, very good at it. So... Yeah, those are shows not to be missed. Yeah, I've seen him. He's fantastic. Well, we thank you for your kindness. I have to leave studio. I have to go get interviewed for some weird thing on campus. <laughs> so we wish you good health, and uh, we hope to have you on again at some point. Oh, I would love that, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show, guys. Yeah, no, Jerry, I'm glad to have you on. It's it's good. I, I've, I've been wanting to like kind of catch back up with you because I'm – I'm going to be I took a break from stand up but I'm he coming back. You. And yeah. And uh uh I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm going to keep in touch with you. I'll give you a call in a couple of weeks, yeah? That sounds great. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Thanks Jerry. Thank you for everything. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. Alrighty. Follow back on Twitter, good sir. <laughs> what a great guy. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I like I like Jerry a lot. I always have. He um I took his comedy class with Seth Tippett's. Yeah. And Travis Tate, we took it, what was that, about a year, a little over a year. That is not a good thing to plug in live. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that's fine. I, uh, yeah, uh, I took Jerry Mabbitt's class, and it was down in Ogden. Seth and I, we carpooled down there. Uh, Travis was there as well. And another comedian named Kevin Gillingham, I believe, KG, we call him for short. Yeah, we all took the class, and I learned a ton. I learned a ton from Jerry, and... I'm glad to have met him, and I'm glad that you know I'm able to kind of catch back up with him. And it, it's I, I urge you guys check out his books, follow him on Twitter, read his blog. He really does post every day. <laughs> he's blowing up my Facebook with that. Yep. You know, he's a yeah, he's a good guy. And um, if you can't make the comedy club up to Ogden because of car or whatever, Steve-O's in town at West Valley. Yep, at their wise guys. So tons of comedy stuff this weekend in Salt Lake City. As for me, I've got to bounce out of here. So yeah, uh, thank you, Johnny McCann. Yep, thank you, Sasha. And also, there is a thing at Wise Guys tonight—a comedy competition. It's at seven. It costs five bucks, guys. Check it out. It's going to be awesome. Like always, you can follow me on Twitter at Johnny McCann. You can follow Sasha at Mister Underscore Bloom. Hit up the Facebook page at Old Ute Radio with Johnny McCann and Sasha Bloom. Boom. Thank you. Goodbye. This is KU Radio, the University of Utah student radio station. Check out our website at www.kuradio.org or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash kuradio.org.